The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. Thank you for joining me this morning for this special 90-minute version of The Blunt Post with Vic. Today, after the headlines, I interview Congressman Gil Cisneros, Congressman Chris Pappas, and Assemblywoman Christy Smith running for California's 25th congressional seat. Here are some headlines from this morning and over the weekend. According to the latest poll by the Wall Street Journal and NBC News, Vice President Joe Biden scored 14-point lead over Trump after the debate. President Trump is drawing his weakest voter support of the year in his re-election race following Tuesday's contentious debate with former Vice President Joe Biden. The Vice President lead has nearly doubled since Tuesday's debate, with voters saying, by a two-to-one margin that he has the better temperament to be president. According to the BBC, the states that will determine the elections are Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Virginia, and Wisconsin. There are exactly 29 days until the election, Voting is already underway in 15 states, and those are Alabama, Vermont, Minnesota, South Dakota, Virginia, Wyoming, Illinois, Michigan, Missouri, Maine, California, Iowa, New Jersey, Montana, and Nebraska. President Trump, the First Lady, and multiple members of his cabinet and staff tested positive for COVID-19 last week, including the president's aide, Hope Hicks, and his assistant, Nicholas Luna. As recently as Wednesday, President Trump held a rally in Minnesota where most attendees did not wear a mask. Conflicting reports continue to emerge about Trump's condition. The president's physician, Dr. Sean Conley, said Sunday morning that the president has had at least two concerning drops in oxygen levels. He is being treated at the Walter Reed Military Medical Center. On January 22nd, the day that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention confirmed what it then thought was the first case of coronavirus in the United States, Trump told a CNBC reporter that the country had it completely under control and suggested that he was not concerned about a pandemic. We have it totally under control. It's a one person coming in from China, and we have it under control. It's going to be just fine, he said. During a February meeting with black leaders held as U.S. health officials warned that the coronavirus pandemic might stay with the country for some time, Trump said a miracle might make the coronavirus pandemic disappear. It's going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear, Trump said. And from our shores, we, you know, it could get worse before it gets better. It could maybe go away. We'll see what happens. Nobody really knows. 
Despite publicly downplaying the virus and calling it a hoax, Trump told journalist Bob Woodward on February 7th that the coronavirus was deadlier than the flu. It goes through the air, Mr. Trump told the author on February 7th. That's always tougher than the touch. You don't have to touch things, right? But the air you just breathe, the air, and that's how it's passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. It's also more deadly than your strenuous flus. We should note that 209,000 Americans have died from COVID-19 so far. Here are the latest COVID-19 numbers for the U.S. and the globe. In the U.S., we've had 209,000 Americans die from coronavirus. In California, that number is 16,122. And in L.A. County, it's 6,642. Globally, 1.3 million people have died from COVID-19. For the most accurate coronavirus reports and numbers, please visit the websites of the CDC, World Health Organization, and the Johns Hopkins University. Aside from the presidential election, the Democrats could flip the Senate blue. So there are some races in different states that are very important and could possibly go to Democrats. First one being in South Carolina between incumbent Senator Lindsey Graham and his Democratic opponent, Jamie Harrison. The other one is in Maine. Uh, of course, the incumbent is Senator Susan Collins, who, by the way, voted to confirm uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and her opponent, Democratic opponent, Sarah Gideon, who is Maine's uh, state house speaker. Then we have Georgia, with incumbent being Republican Senator David Perdue and Democrat John Ossoff as his opponent. In Iowa, we have incumbent Republican Senator Joni Ernst and Democrat Teresa Greenfield uh, has a very good chance of defeating him. And then there's North Carolina with uh, Republican Senator Tom Tillis as the incumbent uh, who is being challenged by former state senator Cal Cunningham. Election day is Tuesday, November 3rd. The deadline to register online to vote is Monday, October 19th. The deadline for registering by mail to vote postmarked by Monday, October 19th. The deadline to register in person to vote is Tuesday, November 3rd. The early voting period runs from Monday, October 5th through Monday, November 2nd, but dates and hours may vary based on where you live. You can register and uh, vote on Election Day. For California residents, you can go to registertovote.ca.gov for information and to register. And if you are outside of California, you can go to vote.org. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt segment, I want to talk about something very important and something that touches me deeply, and that is the unprovoked war waged against Armenia and Artsakh by Azerbaijan and Turkey. And also the way the media has either not covered it and a great deal of media coverage, whether it's a broadcast or editorial, the writing and the 
representation of it is so inaccurate. Now, let me give you an example of what they are doing. When a woman is a victim of domestic abuse and the husband is beating her, you don't go to their home and tell them, I need both of you to put your fists down because we know who the aggressor is and we know who the victim is. Azerbaijan attacked Armenia and Artsakh unprovoked and has been targeting civilians and breaking international law. And yet the media, the way they cover it, is constantly by calling it a conflict and quote-unquote calling both sides to come to a ceasefire. Well, there are no both sides. It's about Azerbaijan, the aggressor, and Armenia and Artsakh barely defending themselves. Now, a lot of you might not even know what I'm talking about, which is fine because mainstream media doesn't cover these things. So I'm going to give you a little background about what is happening uh, across the globe that could potentially explode into a full-scale regional war. Now, Armenia and Azerbaijan's grievances date back to the genocide when newly founded Azerbaijan, assisted by the Ottoman Empire and later the Republic of Turkey, massacred 30,000 Armenians in its capital, Baku. After the occupation of the South, South Caucasus, by the Bolsheviks in the early 1920s, Stalin separated the region of Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, and Nakhichevan from Armenia to appease Turkey by placing it under the control of Azerbaijani Soviet Republic. For 70 years until or under Soviet Azerbaijani occupation, the cultural, political, religious, and other rights of the indigenous Armenian community of the region were systematically violated. In the late 1980s, Armenians gathered peacefully in the hundreds of thousands to demand Artsakh's reunification with Armenia. Now, Azerbaijan, in response, initiated a wave of pogroms that resulted in the forced displacement of over 400,000 Armenians living throughout Azerbaijan. As a remedy of the last resort, the citizens of Artsakh declared their independence from the USSR following a, a democratic referendum in full accordance with the existing domestic and international laws. Azerbaijan responded by waging a full-scale war during which the government in Baku engaged in human rights violations, including wholesale massacres, the targeting of civilians, and blocking the provision of humanitarian assistance to besieged populations. Armenian forces were successful in fending off the onslaught, and a trilateral ceasefire was signed in 1994. In the years since the war, Azerbaijan has routinely violated the ceasefire and sought the capture of Artsakh by force, repeatedly obstructing the peace efforts. On Friday, Congressional Armenian Caucus co-chair, Congresswoman Jackie Speer, introduced legislation condemning Turkey and Azerbaijan for their attack against Armenia and Artsakh. Congresswoman Speer joined with her Armenian Caucus colleagues in introducing a strongly worded resolution condemning Azerbaijani's unprovoked attack on Artsakh and denouncing Turkey's participation in an escalation of this offensive. 
The legislation, H.R. 1165, reflects and also reinforces the broad bipartisan congressional condemnation of Azerbaijan's attack against Artsakh along the Armenian border and deep into civilian population centers across both republics, said ANCA Executive Director Aram Hamparian. Congress is taking the lead, but the administration remains missing in action, failing to either confront Baku's reckless aggression or deter Turkey's relentless interference. Azerbaijan and Turkey have hired at least 4,000 ex-ISIS Syrian jihadist mercenaries and at least 170 Pakistani jihadists to fight their war against Armenia and Artsakh. A few Syrian mercenaries were led to believe they were being hired as security for the Azerbaijani army. This issue and this war is basically completing the genocide that happened 105 years ago. It's ending the genocide, something that the president of Turkey, Erdogan, has said publicly a few times. If you want more information about what's happening, latest news, uh, you can go to ANCA's website, which is anca.org. Um, you can get all kinds of information and be connected and news articles and such. Congressman Gil Cisneros was sworn in as representative of California's 39th Congressional District on January 3rd, 2019, and he's serving his first term in the U.S. House of Representatives. California's 39th District encompasses portions of Orange, Los Angeles, and San Bernardino counties. Congressman Cisneros currently serves on the House Armed Services Committee and the House Veterans Affairs Committee. He's also a member of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, and the Bipartisan Four Country Caucus. Welcome, Congressman Cisneros, to The Blunt Post with Vic. How are you today? I'm doing well, Vic. How are you? I am well. I'm glad that I'm um, speaking with you. Wanted to, you know, we have a month to the election, and I know that you're busy with your district regardless. But um, just want to ask you, what's your perspective? What's your, your take on where we are as a country in your district, California, and where we're headed? Well, I think I feel like many Americans do uh, after watching that debate on Tuesday, that it is a uh, time for a change. And really, that's what I've been working for here in the 39th to bring forth change and to really, you know, get us the country moving in, in the right direction where we're going to put you know, put our cities, put American workers, put small businesses uh, first and really make them the priority and really kind of help them. And that's really what I've been trying to do through this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I know that uh, delivering coronavirus relief to your district has been a top priority for you, as well as veterans, for sure. You know, introducing the Protecting Apprenticeship Training for Veterans Act recently. Right, right. This is a good bill that will allow our, our service members uh, that are getting out to, 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 to learn a trade and uh, become apprentices. And, and it's something that it needs to be done. A lot of them have the skills. And I'll just kind of mention like electricians, right? Um, I was in the Navy. Um, you know, we had electricians mates, uh, electrician technicians. Uh, these people know their stuff, but it's 
they've kind of been hampered a bit because when they get out, they don't have the certifications. You know, this bill will allow them to do that and, you know, let them earn the certifications and make sure that way they can get better into these apprenticeships and get these jobs uh, when they get out. And so anything we can do uh, to benefit our veterans uh, is something that I am very supportive of and something that I've been working very hard on the Veterans Affairs Committee. Yeah, and part of that was that your bill, the Veterans Mental Health Improvement Act, it passed in the House, which is a, a huge victory uh, for helping veterans in mental health and suicide prevention. We have over 20 veterans a day that are committing suicide, unfortunately, and uh, we need to make some changes and we need to do something to better the system. And really what our bill does, it, it makes the VA share best practices amongst uh, the VA system. So if if there's one VA hospital, one VA center that's doing something really well, we need to make sure that they share that. And everybody knows throughout the VA system, you know, what's making them so successful and, and really kind of take those best practices and share them uh, with everyone else. You know, we need to make sure that we get good results and we need to make sure that we take care of our veterans. And I know that's been something uh, that uh, Chairman Mark Ticano on the Veterans Affairs Committee and the whole committee has really been working towards. And we were able to pass this this bill with um, unanimous bipartisanship uh, through the House. And it, again, it's just another example of what we can do when both sides come together and work on a bipartisan fashion to get things done. And so I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud my uh, legislation was part of that legislation that got moved last week. And um, I think it'll help make a difference. Indeed. Um, I want to go back to the Affordable Care Act and what's at stake with Senate Republicans, with Senator McConnell. They're pushing for, uh, just rapidly pushing for a confirmation of a, of a judge for the Supreme Court who does not have a good record of her belief and where she stands with the Affordable Care Act. And to a degree, I think Americans feel very powerless to see that this is happening, feel that it's hypocritical when President Obama, almost eight months left to his presidency, wasn't able to have a Supreme Court justice confirmed, and yet uh, sort of the Republican Senate now just bulldozing themselves and we are, you know, Affordable Care Act comes up on top in terms of what's at risk. How do you feel about that? And what, what do you tell to people who feel powerless? Look, you know, it's unfortunate, right? When you talk about the Affordable Care Act, this is um, legislation, a law that was enacted that's provided insurance uh, for over 20 million people uh, across the country. It's uh, protected those with pre-existing conditions to make sure that they can get insured without any additional cost. It's allowed families to insure their, their college-age children so that they can keep them on their insurance and making sure that they're getting the health care that they need. Uh, and it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, the Republicans have been in court uh, trying to end this um, ever since Donald Trump became president uh, and really it's you know he thinks this is another way that that can happen by by appointing another uh, supreme court justice that he thinks will kind of hopefully go in his favor it's so much is at stake right now not only is it um the affordable care act but you know a woman's choice or you know the right to to, to decide what she wants to do with her health care and her body uh protections right. for our lgbtq community um, you know woman's uh, right to earn a, an equal wage the same as a man and really protecting uh, our workers. Um, 
you know, it, it makes this election so much more important, right? And why we need uh, individuals in there uh, to, to elect individuals that are going to push forth this agenda of really what the American people want. Uh, America wants to protect our workers. We want to make sure that a, a woman earns the same as a man. And we want to protect our health care system and make sure that those that have pre-existing conditions you know, are able to get insured and they want to make sure that prescription drugs, and this is something I've been really fighting for is right. That we bring down the cost of prescription drugs. And that's why I supported HR three, uh, you know, what would allow the government to negotiate the price of Medicare, you know, prescription drugs for right. Medicare, uh, put in a, a $2,000 cap, a out of pocket cap uh, and really, you know, make it affordable so families don't have to choose, you know, whether they're going to put food on the table or whether they're going to be able to buy their prescriptions. And it just makes our jobs as legislators, you know, so much more important and why this election is so important, right, is that we need to elect individuals uh, like myself that are going to support these things that I mentioned and make sure that we pass laws that are going to hold up, you know, in the courts and will give the American people what they've been asking for. Absolutely. You brought up some really great points. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Congressman Gil Cisneros. So much of what you say seems redundant and sort of practical and obvious, but unfortunately there's a, there's a misinformation war uh, deliberately that uh, confuses some voters. So what I'd like to ask you is, uh, pertaining to uh, your campaign now and with mm -hmm. your opponent and your district, what are some of the messages that you'd like voters to hear from you uh, of things that uh, you, maybe they're not getting the right attention or just key messages in terms of differences in your, your objective and your vision? When I came into office, uh, you know, I kept hearing from people as the they wanted to know uh, who their congressman was. You know, they wanted to see him in the district. They wanted him to be transparent about uh, what he was doing and to communicate with with them. And that's what we've been able to do. You know, we've done over I think 27 town halls now. Um, you know, we've been communicating with individuals through the pandemic. We've held uh, various uh, town halls, whether it be on, on healthcare uh, with St. Jude Hospital. Uh, you know, small businesses with. Um, We've done, you know, town halls on, on different subjects, just kind of really talking about new things. We've been town halls to kind of really just take uh, constituent questions and let them know what my thoughts were and really how we are progressing towards this uh, pandemic. And so that was one of my key points right there. One of the things that I made determined to do is that we were going to communicate with the constituents. And that's what we've been able to do. Um, constituent services, you know, we've been able to bring over $500,000 back to constituents in claims that they made against the government. Uh, we've been able to to help them with their visa claims. You know, if they have a, a they need a, a visa, or if they need uh, social security or Medicare issues or or veterans issues. You know, we've been there to help them, and we've been. You know, I guarantee when you call our office, we are going to call you back. If you send us an email, we are going to reply to that email. Uh, th that's what people wanted uh, in their congressman, and that's what we've been able to provide. But we've also been working very hard, you know, to bring resources back to the district. We've been able to bring over $300 million back uh, to help our cities, you know, to help our, our colleges, to, to help our, our hospitals and, and healthcare care centers uh, get through this pandemic. Uh, 
Uh, we've been fighting uh, for all these resources that we can get and we'll continue to fight to bring resources back to the district because I know it benefits the people of my community. Uh, we want to make sure that we can work with businesses to help create jobs. You know, we've been able to, to help businesses during this pandemic to, to connect them with the VA and, and other branches or departments of the government to let them know that, hey, we have companies that are making PPE gear uh, and you know, they're here and they're selling it. And some of them have gone. They've, you know, we've had one uh, company in our district that now has a contract with the VA. Uh, others that have been able to sell masks uh, to the government as well. And so these are the things that we've been able to do and how we've been able to help our, our constituents and our small businesses in the district. Amazing. Thank you for all of that, Congressman. And I do know some, well, a lot of your accomplishments uh, the last one you mentioned, especially the PPP and how much you've been pushing to get PPP equipment to frontline workers. Congressman, if I may change topics just for a minute, you know, Southern California is home to about 700,000 Armenian Americans. And mm -hmm. the recent attacks of Azerbaijan aid with, with the help of Turkey on Armenia and Artsakh, two sovereign nations, uh, that's not... I don't think is getting enough attention. Uh, how do you feel about what's happening there in your perspective? Well, you know, it's we need to bring attention to, to these issues, right, to, to let them know that Turkey has not been a, a good actor right now, and they have not been a good ally. And unfortunately, um, you know, this president uh, has kind of heightened his relationship with Turkey, and I think... Um, you know, we're starting to find out with a recent New York Times report about his taxes that he has some financial ties to, to Turkey and, and it's kind of helped put our, our national security in jeopardy. And so we need to make sure we need to bring Turkey back to the table and we need to make them a good actor again. And we need to make sure that they become uh, an ally and, and really put pressure on these authoritarian governments that are going out there and just creating havoc um, you know, throughout the world. Uh, the United States should be out there standing up for democracy and, and really taking the charge and, and making sure that we promote democracy around the world and that our allies are promoting democracy around the world and not authoritarian governments. Yeah, beautifully said. Unfortunately, our, our current administration has been devoid of democracy. Um, so I think it's... Um, Unfortunately, sad that they're not going to stand for any other countries, um, neither. But I'm very, I'm very happy and thank you for being very open and blunt and sort of direct about what's happening, you know, and just calling Turkey out and what's happening in Azerbaijan as well, mm -hmm. uh, Congressman. Going forward, just for the next uh, 30 days before the election, uh, what are your top priorities, your initiatives, and what should voters and your constituents know or do? Well, look, uh, right now, I, I think the, uh, the pandemic has kind of become just the, the top priority, right? And how we get through this. And that is really kind of uh, my priority and what we're communicating to people is to let them know that uh, we are going to continue to fight for small businesses. We want to bring a second round of PPP. I've been able to lead on bipartisan letters uh, that you know, saying that we need to do this. We need to help our small businesses that employ over half the people in the country. Uh, we need to make sure that we take care of families and those that are out of work. You know, just today, 
uh, you know, airlines are, are furloughing or laying off 40,000 workers. And that's going to affect not just the airline uh, industry, but also the other industries that support the airline uh, industries as they cut back flights. You know? And so we need to make sure that we keep working towards an agreement. And that's something I've been advocating for is that we need, uh, you know, more PPP. We need, you know, to, unemployment insurance to keep supporting our workers that are out of work. We need to make sure that we provide funding for our schools so that they can open up safely uh, and have the resources to, to sanitize and clean their schools on a daily basis. Uh, we need to make sure that we keep promoting the CDC guidelines that are pushing for the guidelines that are keeping us safe, you know, social distancing, wearing a mask, making sure that we get a vaccine that is going to be, you know, safe, you know, that's been tested. You know, most people, you know, the president says we'll have a vaccine before the election. Uh, most people say if that happens, uh, they don't trust it. Right. Uh, we need to build trust back in the American people. And that's what I've been working towards and what I've been trying to do. And, of course, you know, we will continue to, to support, uh, uh, you know, legislation for our veterans and our service members. Um, you know, I had just went to Fort Hood a couple of weeks ago uh, to really kind of find out more about the investigation of Vanessa Guion and what has been going on there. But it was really uh, appalling to kind of see uh, the condition that our, our military individuals are living in, they, you know, not only in their barracks, but to hear the stories about the housing. And, you know, these are things that we need to make changes to and we need to fix. Now, these are individuals that sacrifice a lot. Their families sacrifice a lot, and we need to make sure that we take care of them and give them, you know, at least a safe place to live. Absolutely. I do have to say, I've been speaking with a lot of leaders of democratic organizations, and you seem to be a superstar. So I thought I, I should tell you that. Mm, thank uh, you. A lot of people are pulling for you. And Congressman, on, on that note, I want to ask you for voters and just the listeners how can they reach you how can they get active support you donate volunteer for your campaign well you know i appreciate that support you know they can go online to cisnerosforcongress.com uh, and you can sign up to volunteer you know this election right now it is uh it's almost like we're writing the book as we go along here uh, normally we would be out canvassing knocking on doors talking to voters face to face but this pandemic doesn't allow us to do that. So we need volunteers to phone bank, to make calls, to write postcards, um, you know, to do all these things to make sure that we can continue to communicate with individuals. And so um, we'd love to have volunteers. And again, people can go to SisnerosForCongress.com uh, to volunteer, sign up for our newsletter, and um, would love to have their support. Fantastic. Cisneros for Congress, that is. Cisnerosforcongress.com. Correct. Congressman Cisneros, really want to, I want to thank you for your time and for sharing all your insight and brilliance. I hope we chat again soon before the election. Uh, until then, good luck to you. All right. Well, thank you, Vic. Uh, make sure you take care. Stay safe. Thank you. That was Congressman Gil Cisneros from L.A., Orange, and San Bernardino counties. Thank you, Congressman Cisneros, for being on the show today. The Blunt Post with Vic. A graduate of Harvard University, Congressman Chris Pappas serves the 1st Congressional District of New Hampshire. He was elected on November 6, 2018, and is the first openly gay person representing New Hampshire in Congress. Congressman Pappas serves on the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, 
which oversees veterans' measures with broad jurisdiction. He also serves on the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure, which exercises jurisdiction over transportation and infrastructure issues around the country, including roads, waterways, transportation infrastructure, and federal management of emergency and natural disasters. Before entering the U.S. House of Representatives, Congressman Pappas served as a member of the state's Executive Council. In this role, he worked with governors of both parties to implement Medicaid expansion, expand treatment and recovery services, approve funding for family planning providers, and support renewable energy and infrastructure projects. Hi, Congressman. Hey, How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank Thanks you. for making some time for us. Well, thank you for making time for, for me. I, I can only Absolutely. imagine how busy you are and how in demand you are right now. It is a busy time, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to go right into it, Congressman. Things change on a daily basis, obviously, and there's so much to process. And, you know, you're in the middle of it, uh, not just New Hampshire, but just, just nationwide perspective. I just like to ask you a general question as to where do you think we are and where we stand today in terms of our nation and where we're headed? It's a big question, but let's start with that. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing a series of intersecting crises that have, you know, come upon us. And we've got to find ways that we can find our sense of common purpose as a country to overcome them. So whether it is the pandemic and the health crisis, uh, the economic crisis, the crisis of racial justice in this country, the environmental crisis we see unfolding before our eyes, these things are all connected and they are all existential threats to our democracy and to um, the prosperity of America over the long term. So, um, you know, I think we've got to own up to these responsibilities. We've got to be honest about steps we need to take. And we can't move forward as a nation if we're leaving people out or leaving people behind. So, you know, we're here in Washington right now. We're fighting for additional COVID relief. We've got to understand that despite what the president says, this virus isn't going to magically disappear. It is here. Right. It is going to be with us for some time. So we have to redouble and refine our efforts. Um, and with respect to these other challenges we face, you know, we're the United States of America and we need to start acting like a, a great nation. And we need to draw on the talents, the creativity, the innovation of the American people um, if we hope to overcome these and once again be leading the world uh, in different respects. What is so distressing to me is to see that during this COVID experience, we are alone in the world in terms of how we have handled this and the number of Americans that we are losing to this. Uh, we are far outpacing other nations in terms of our response. We should be leading um, and, and we're not at this moment. And that's why these elections in November are, are so important uh, because it's gonna say a lot about who we are as a country and whether or not we can stick together uh, and fight these challenges. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you for that. So in terms of uh, COVID-19, you've been very laser focused on COVID-19 and how it impacts, mm -hmm. uh, especially New Hampshire, your state and such. What's the situation in New Hampshire? Are there any unique challenges to the state? Well, we have seen numbers that are fairly low by national standards. And I think We've seen more resoluteness from people to stick with the mask wearing, to do social distancing, to make the modifications that we all need to be doing to keep people safe. So we're lucky that 
the levels have been low. We've still lost hundreds of people in our state, and many of those in nursing homes and long-term care facilities. We really were hurt by the lack of testing strategies early on and to be able to test vulnerable populations and frontline workers. Uh, we've caught up on that, but we've got to sustain that over time. Um, we've got to make sure that you know, there are regular uh, tests that are available to people that are in the workforce, uh, to vulnerable people, including the elderly and those with pre-existing conditions and chronic conditions. Um, so that's where, you know, Congress can come in to provide additional resources to really help these public uh, health strategies flourish. Um, and what we can't afford to have happen is uh, people playing politics with the data uh, with the information, because information is power. And um, so I feel like our state is doing okay. Um, people are taking that personal responsibility seriously because they know it impacts uh, our overall strategy and being able to keep the numbers low is just so important to ensure that our economy can weather the storm and that um, you know we can, as much as possible, uh, continue to go about our lives. So um, I'm hopeful as a nation we can um, you know, do do what's necessary. And uh, I hope the president and others who are in positions of power will continue to send the right messages out to the American people. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Chris Pappas from New Hampshire. Yeah, and you recently joined a letter to Speaker Nancy Pelosi calling on her to bring uh, forward a, and pass a compromised COVID-19 relief package that provides direct support to small businesses, supports uh, law enforcement and public safety. You know, Democrats are in this position where we have to kind of constantly compromise because uh, Senator McConnell refuses to bring the HEROES Act to a vote. Yep. It's been, I don't know, over five months now. Um, so that's unfortunate. Yep. But you seem to be very proactive uh, on this topic and other topics, and especially uh, for New Hampshire. I just wanted to ask you, I'm kind of curious, for your constituents and just people of New Hampshire, you know, your opponent who is running against you was basically handpicked by the Trump administration. And... <laughs> President Trump's reputation and credibility being what it is, and it's sort of all out in the open, where I think debates are even redundant at this point. I just don't know who would take that seriously, you know, for someone that's been sort of picked by the administration to run mm -hmm. against you in New Hampshire. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, an important question. And, you know, we've got to have a give and take on the issues. It doesn't mean we agree on everything. And what I said when I first ran for Congress two years ago was, look, I'll work with the administration or anyone when it's right for my state, but I'll also be willing to stand up to them when they're wrong. And there have been so many times where we've had to push back to try to hold the line, to put up guardrails for this administration when they've gone beyond, um, you know, either their constitutional uh, obligations and duties or uh, what's right for the American people. But we've also found some common ground. And frankly, at the beginning of this COVID crisis, we passed four major bipartisan bills, including the CARES Act, mm -hmm. that provided significant support for uh, unemployed workers, for businesses, for our communities and families who are struggling. Uh, and that's what we need to continue to refine and recalibrate, especially as we face some tough months this winter. So I have called on leadership to do what they can to cut a deal um, they should be doing everything in their power to get us to yes. 
the people of my district of this country can't wait, but they're worth it. Uh, they're worth the expenditures for uh, our unemployed workers, for our schools to be safe, for people who need food, for um, you know small businesses to weather the storm and keep their doors open. Uh, that's what we're fighting for. And um, that shouldn't be a political hot button issue. That should just be uh, the job we need to do and get over the finish line. So we've heard some good uh, you know, developments. The speaker is negotiating with Secretary Mnuchin um, and they keep talking uh, today. It's possible that we'll take up a revised version of the HEROES Act that we passed uh, over four months ago now, um, which has that significant support moving forward for uh, people who are struggling and need the help. Um, yeah. And I hope we can get over the finish line. Uh, the only way, you know, that I know uh, of how to do this is to, you know, find a way to split the difference and yeah. come together. And, you know, when, when you have divided government like this, that's how you get a compromise done. So we need to continue to sharpen the pencils to get something over the finish line. Yeah, but I do have to mention that your opponent is also very much supportive of President Trump's dismantling of the Affordable Care Act, if he's able to, uh, which is very unfortunate um, at a time when in four years, the president hasn't been able to come up with any alternates, and Americans need the Affordable Care Act now more than ever. So um, I'm uh, very hopeful, and uh, I'm sure people of New Hampshire are grateful to have you as their uh, congressman. If I may, Congressman, I'd like to uh, change topics a bit, because sure. New, New Hampshire has a sizable Armenian-American community, and you know, recently, Azerbaijan with the support of Turkey, um, has attacked, unprovoked, has attacked uh, Artsakh in Armenia, two sovereign nations. Wanted to um, hear your perspective and what you think of that. Well, you know, the United States should be playing a role in terms of what we can do to uh, bring parties together for mutual understanding. Uh, we should be working with our allies uh, on situations uh, like the one that you just described. Unfortunately, America at so many turns has abandoned um, its traditional allies, has alienated NATO, and has cozied up uh, to Turkey in particular. Uh, for whatever reason, the president sees uh, Erdogan and leaders like him around the world, autocrats, as sort of a model of you know, what a, a leader he believes should look like. And that just runs contrary to you know, the priorities that should be underpinning our foreign policy democracy, human rights, security. Um, and that's why I think we you know, need a change in this election. So I'm a member of the uh, Hellenic Caucus in the House. We've been paying uh, close attention to a variety of issues um, in the region, and, and we'll continue to do you know, what we can from our vantage point to um, you know, call for cooperation um, and you know, call for uh, diplomacy uh, where we need it. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Chris Pappas from New Hampshire. Congressman, not just in the next month, which we have, you know, about a month before the election, but in 2021, what can your constituents and the state of New Hampshire expect from you? What's on your agenda? Obviously, you covered a lot of things, um, but what are your sort of like main things that you, you'd like to accomplish in 2021 and forward? Yeah, well, we have to make sure we're doing all we can with respect to COVID-19. And I think anything that 
remains on the table uh, will need to be acted upon in January when a new Congress and potentially a new president is sworn into office. Um, I think that our role in protecting health care is so crucial, especially as we see the direction of the Supreme Court and the Senate's willingness to undo its own precedent that it set at the end of Barack Obama's term and launch headlong into a uh, nomination of a new Supreme Court justice while people are already voting in this election. I think the people's voices need to be heard. And regardless of how that nomination turns out, uh, we've got to make sure we have people in January who are working to protect and expand access to health care, to lower the cost of prescription drugs, uh, and to make sure that people can get access to the care they need at the time they need. Um, and that's so important, especially through this pandemic experience, as we know that our health is all uh, connected and we can't afford to see any lapse uh, in coverage or anyone losing coverage. In addition to that, some of the work that I've done um, pertains to my committees in Congress. I'm on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and we are planning a big push on infrastructure to put people back to work, to invest in our roads, bridges, airports, water systems, broadband, uh, and do it in a clean and green way and so we can create jobs and get this country up and running again. I also serve on the Veterans Affairs Committee, and we've done a lot of work to hold VA accountable and to make good on the promises that we've made to our veterans. Um, so there are a number of critical priorities we have in those areas, uh, but we've got some major issues to deal with as a nation. We've got to be leading on the world stage on climate change. We have to do something about the epidemic of gun violence in this country. Um, and we have to make sure that the promise of um, being part of our American family uh, means that everyone is treated with dignity and respect. And so we've got to pass the Equality Act, which is landmark civil rights legislation to include the yeah. LGBTQ community fully in the, in the life of um, uh, our country. So there's a lot out there and a lot to do. Uh, and I'm really eager to continue to dig into this, but we've got to stay focused on meeting the needs of our families and our small businesses who are struggling, uh, supporting access to affordable health care um, and looking toward the future if, and, you know, figuring out the kind of country we can create together. Wow. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm very glad you brought up the Equality Act. That's very important. Something mm -hmm. that, uh, again, I hate to go back to him, but your opponent does not have a good record on LGBTQ rights and uh, has used some homophobic language in the past and refused to really denounce uh, that. Um, it's unfortunate. But I also wanted to ask you, how do Americans who are very disconcerted about the nomination of the, you know, nomination of the judge for Supreme Court about 30 some days before the election, while I think when the, when the nomination was announced, five states were already voting. And when they compare that to 2016, when uh, President Obama had almost eight months left to his presidency, and yet Republican Senate with uh, Senator McConnell refused to allow that to happen, saying it's an election year. I think most Americans feel very powerless and feel very betrayed. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we just, there's nothing that we can do. We have to play yeah. this out. How, what do you say to us who feel that way? Well, it's important that everyone's voice is heard, especially in the upcoming election. And I have to say that I think a lot of people 
are feeling that. At how can I make a difference? How can I speak out on this? And what I think McConnell hopes to accomplish, what the president hoped to accomplish the other night in that debate is to just have people tune out, to have them give up. They're exhausted to just say, you know what, I don't know that politics is worth my time or my interest. Well, our system survives on the participation of each and every individual. And in order to fully realize the kind of future we can create together, it takes everyone being engaged uh, and not just in one election, uh, but in the times in between where we can raise our voices and make a difference. Now, we've seen examples, even in the recent past, where that has moved the needle. When the Senate was considering overturning the Affordable Care Act and passing what was known as Trump Care, um, you know, the public outcry was intense and that bill went down to defeat. Right. Um, in the 2018 midterm elections, uh, we saw a wave of new candidates getting elected, myself included. Um, came in with one of the biggest uh, freshman classes ever, the biggest since Watergate. Right. Uh, and that was due to people expressing their views and mobilizing. So I think that there's a short period of time here. Uh, many states already have early voting and absentee voting options available. Everyone needs to get out and vote. And there are limited tools on the inside of what senators can do to um, hold McConnell accountable or slow down this nomination process that's pushing toward a prefabricated conclusion. But we need outside pressure. We need public opinion. And so everyone has something they can do um, in terms of encouraging people to vote and, and getting that message out. If it's a resounding, uh, decisive verdict in November, I, I think that uh, really charts a much clearer path for the future. And makes a statement about things that have gone on the last four years and, um, you know, whether or not we'll continue moving in that direction. Yeah, you made some really good points. One of them is that we should not just expect our members of Congress to just, you know, use a magic wand and make everything happen and, and such. And we also have to be loud and speak up and be activists. We can't just be advocates on social media. We have to be activists so that we empower our elected officials. I think that's really important, and you brought some great examples of that. I was just going to say, Lincoln always said that public opinion is everything. Uh, with it, you can accomplish what you need to. Without it, you accomplish nothing. And so yeah. that's why the voices of the people are, are really needed. Yeah, and the other um, point you made when you said we have to win by wide margin, it's so important for those that are voting by mail to vote early, send in your ballots early, and uh, we do need to win with a very wide margin because President Trump has already alluded that uh, he's going to challenge the, the election. So, you know, another thing for all of us to keep in mind, as, yeah. as you know, we keep saying this is the election of our lifetime. We've said it before for other elections, but this one is definitely the election of our life. And yeah. um, so... Um, Congressman, I know you're busy and I don't want to keep you, but I just want to ask you if there's anything I haven't covered, anything you'd like to add um, before we go. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. And, you know, I just hope that uh, folks stay optimistic. I know it's a tough time. This is a time of extreme loss in our country. Um, this is, um, you know, a crisis that no one could have predicted but we can make it through this tough period and come out stronger on the other side. We just can't lose the hope 
that we all need to have within our hearts. Uh, we need to continue to show that this is a kind and decent and compassionate nation that we're forward thinking. Um, and I think if we continue to do what we can to look out for one another um, and to raise our voices, especially over these next few weeks, uh, things will get better. So I'm hopeful and uh, I, I hope everyone else stays that way as well. I like that. I'm going to believe you. <laughs> it's Great. good to be positive. Congressman, uh, one last thing. Uh, any call to action? How can people support you, get in touch with you, your campaign and such? Well, sure. You can find us online at uh, chrispappas.org. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can find us on social as well, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and I think, you know, regardless of where you are, making that plan to vote, finding out what your rules are uh, in your state, encouraging your friends and neighbors to do that, and finding a campaign uh, where you can help make a difference. Uh, there are so many competitive races, House, Senate, uh, and presidential contests in the individual states across the country. Uh, where you can lend a hand and uh, help make a difference. So find those opportunities uh, and then don't go away after the election. You know, we continue to need yes. everyone's voices and participation in order to make this a more perfect union, in order to ensure that, you know, the, the uh, values and priorities of the American people continue to be heard. Indeed. Congressman Pappas, thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate your time. I want to wish you good luck and hope that we can chat again soon. Thanks very much. Okay. Be well and take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Congressman Chris Pappas from New Hampshire. Thank you, Congressman, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. I appreciate your time. The Blunt Post with Vic. Assemblywoman Christy Smith was elected to the California State Assembly in November 2018 and represents the 38th Assembly District that includes the communities of Agua Dolce, Castaic, Santa Clarita, Simi Valley, and Northern San Fernando Valley. She is running for Congress to represent California's 25th Congressional District. In the state legislature, Assemblywoman Smith has secured millions of dollars for local colleges, child care and health care clinics, and senior centers. She also fought to pass a groundbreaking paid family leave for new parents and caregivers, wrote the law to compensate victims of human trafficking so that they have a chance to rebuild their lives, and co-authored a law that ensures first responders have mental health care covered in their workers' compensation policy. Assemblywoman Smith does not take a dime from Washington lobbyists, special interests, health insurance companies, or big drug corporations. Good morning, Assemblywoman Smith. How are you today? Good morning, Vic. I'm well. Good to be with you. Likewise. Thank you for taking the time to chat with, uh, with me and listeners about all that's happening. Uh, your run for uh, Congress, the California Congressional District 25. Right. It's a big one. It's a big one, yes. And it's... Uh, Huge area, parts of Ventura County, Santa Clarita Valley, Palmdale, Lancaster, and mm -hmm. uh, surrounding areas. Yes, absolutely. The northernmost part of L.A. County, um, a sizable piece of Ventura County. So it's it's geographically one of the larger uh, congressional districts in, in Southern California, in the you know, Los Angeles County space. Um, but, you know, proud to represent already about 60 percent of the folks here and, and looking forward to expanding representation to the Antelope Valley as well. 
Fantastic. So let me ask you this. This is kind of up to, it's a huge question, but it's a general one. I, I'd like to hear your perspective as to where we are today, since everything could change tomorrow, as a nation, in an election year, and a month away from election. That's a really great question. And, and look, there is, I think there's a decided difference between what a lot of us are receiving in media right now, whether that's social media or the news media, and then what those of us who are in this position are feeling on the ground when we are uh, able to engage with voters and have those conversations. I think on the media, what you're seeing is, um, you know, kind of what we do in every election cycle where we kind of, you know, do the hand wringing and, oh my goodness, which way is this going to go? And looking for data and information and polling and, you know, rightfully so, making sure that we're being very vigilant about monitoring for any efforts at, at voter suppression or voter intimidation. And um, But I think that's pretty far removed from what I'm actually getting back from people. And we've done a number of events uh, in the district. We're doing drive-through. We do COVID-safe drive-through events. Everyone's masked up. Yeah. My, you know, folks stay in their car, but I speak to them that way. And people are so motivated right now to vote. People are so motivated to move this country in a different direction and determined, not only motivated, but determined. They are they are going to vote one way or another. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they do carry some of that greater worry about, you know, whether it's being concerned about what might happen with their health care, being concerned about their job situation or, or COVID uh, writ large, getting their kids back to school, all of those things. But most of the people I am talking to, by and large, understand that the way to get progress on any of that is to vote and really change the direction we're moving in. Absolutely. Well said. And you mentioned uh, the Affordable Care Act, something that you've championed and you are a huge supporter um, and your opponent uh, is not so keen on that. Uh, which right. is very strange because in your district, you would think that most people would be for it, and, and I'm sure they are, and mm -hmm. to support a candidate that wants to keep it, maintain it, and hopefully eventually will even make it better. Uh, but we are at risk with the Affordable Care Act. We're at risk if we don't go blue um, for the majority of the country. And of course, mm -hmm. we're at risk because... Uh, a new Supreme Court justice could be appointed, who too is not very keen on the Affordable Care Act, although our president has failed to come up with a better solution in four years to the Affordable Care Act. Right. No, and, and uh, you know, truthfully, my opponent joins him in that lack of, of a viable alternative. And so when what you're talking about in, in the name of people having health care freedom is taking away some of the very basic protections that they have right now, protections for pre-existing conditions and making sure that even if you are priced out of the market that you might qualify on, you know, here in California, we're very proud of having a very robust state health care exchange. And so whether it's the threat of, you know, the Supreme Court overturning the Affordable Care Act or what um, a House majority, if it flipped in the other direction, might possibly do to America's health care. It's, it's unfathomable to me. No family should go bankrupt because some family member gets sick. Yeah. And it's happening all across America still, even with the protections we have in place. So there's so much more work we need to do. We can't afford to go backwards um, in some of these very essential protections. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I'm surprised, not surprised, but uh, it's disconcerting about your opponent is that, you know, I don't think that anyone should tell a woman what to do with her own body, her health, and certainly not their reproductive system. And uh, I fancy myself as a feminist, and I 
you know, your opponent is just um, basically <laughs> trying to get in there and tell women what to do, which is very disconcerting. I don't know why. Right. Any... I, yeah. I mean, to to a, a decades old archaic level of you know some of the first actions he took in the house were to add his name to two of the most draconian anti-choice pieces of legislation that have been on the house floor in years and for me this is so fundamentally personal first of all because i'm the mother of two young adult women whose rights i will you know fight till my dying day to protect to make their own life choices to determine their own destiny including their reproductive health which is in entirely tied uh to a woman's economic liberty and her ability to succeed in life is that she makes those own decisions for herself but that's a decision i personally have faced um in having my first daughter um, i became incredibly sick i had a condition called eclampsia uh, started having seizures uh, late in pregnancy, but she was still born premature. But I needed to have a cesarean section to save my life uh, right. because of, of this condition. And so when I became unexpectedly pregnant the second time, really had to wrestle with, with that decision on a personal level. And it should have only been between me, my partner, my God, and my physician, and not the government involved in that in any way. And and I do want to acknowledge and and recognize that for some people that, you know, whether it's the faith component or their partner, that's very unique and personal to them. But that also sure. is part of their individual determination and not a space that the government should step into. So, you know, I'm now the proud mom of, of two beautiful daughters. As I said, I made a choice that was right for me at the time, supported by great medical advice and, and made it through a second pregnancy in a very healthy way. But Every woman should be able to make those determinations for herself. And there is literally not any other decision, as, as the wise Senator Harris has pointed out. There is no health care decision that the government makes for men. Exactly. It's such a double yeah. standard. It's so sexist. And I can't believe uh, after all these decades, we're still having the same discussion. Uh, yep. It's unfortunate. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Assemblywoman Christy Smith, who is running for Congress for California's 25th Congressional District. And I'm glad, you know, I have to tell you, I'm glad that you called it anti-choice because it is anti-choice. Yes. Right? Right. We need to change our terminology slowly and call it what it is. Right. Um, well, and historically, the fact that also that movement has been decidedly wrapped up in also limiting access to birth control options. And when progressive health care around women's health is allowed to flourish and women are allowed greater access to medical providers, allowed greater access to birth control options, the abortion rate actually goes down because women have the choice, you know, to be proactive in in their healthcare decisions. And so it's really, you know, a lot of it is based on these these fallacy arguments. And it's time we really move into um, a new century acknowledging that this once and for all has to be resolved and codified and and moved on. But uh, sadly, again, you know, it's at risk. We're in the year 2020 and an incoming Supreme Court justice could put all of that at risk for women. So again, an incredibly important reason that we need to have the House and the Senate moving into this next year. Yeah, thank you. Well said. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, I believe your district is under audit, the USPS. And, you know, we have, you know, since uh, President Trump appointed Louis DeJoy as a postmaster general, of course, we've had, well, let's just call it what it is. It's it's sabotage of the, the post office and to affect the election. And uh, your opponent has been against delivering for America. I'm very right. surprised about that. You know, I'm not. I mean, again, he's he's voted entirely in lockstep 
uh, as a partisan since he arrived in D.C. Uh, back in June. But, you know, it's, it is critical that USPS in our district, not only for electoral purposes, which I think is very, you know, on everyone's mind right now, but we I live in a community with a number of small businesses who rely on USPS for affordable shipping of their goods. Uh, we have seniors here. We have veterans here who rely on USPS for everything from, you know, their their support checks and payments to their prescription medications, which only can be delivered uh, through the mail. And so and, and then not to mention, we have a sizable number of USPS employees who live right here in the district whose, um, you know, pensions could be threatened, whose livelihoods are threatened by the unwillingness of, you know, this country and, and you know, currently the administration to support a viable USPS service. And, um it, you know, it's really sad. Yeah, I want to, I want to come back to, to this, but I want to ask you something before I forget. As you know, Azerbaijan, and with the help of Turkey, recently attacked uh, Armenia and Artsakh, two sovereign nations, um, mm-hmm. and targeting civilians. And uh, you know, as a small, tiny country of less than three million, Armenia is not getting the kind of attention it it deserves, and it should. Absolutely. Considering it's an unprovoked attack and it's it's a genocidal attack, uh, just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I will say, you know, my heart goes out to all of the wonderful Armenians that we have in our in our greater California community, and I'm sure what they must be going through, worried about uh, loved ones still at home. I'm sure that's heart wrenching. And but what this points to is that America, especially during this administration, has abdicated our role. Um, in the global marketplace when it comes to, you know, clearing a path for liberal democracy governments and standing with our allies, um, whether there's something, you know, financially to be gained or materially to be gained from the exchange, right? We, we used to play this much more prominent role in protecting our allies, and we need to get back into that space. Uh, particularly for, as you pointed out, you know, smaller nations like this who are, um, you know, significantly challenged when it comes to their own defense. That's always a role we've proudly played, and and we need to step back into it. Do you denounce uh, the actions of Azerbaijan and Turkey? I I do. I think unprovoked attacks are unreasonable. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're definitely right. We've, We've had no leadership, and, you know, leadership starts at home, and we haven't had it here. And uh, it's so much uh, of lack of leadership that we are in, you know, in such crisis on so many levels from COVID-19 to sort of attack on our liberties and human rights and uh, racial injustice and the emboldening of of, uh, white supremacists and such. So, yeah, absolutely, you're right. It's uh, really we need need to go back to our roots and and have uh, the proper leadership. What? Right, and and ha- and have a vision for our engagement globally. You know, we need to have a foreign policy mission statement and narrative. And I think it's been pretty much absent in this administration. And we need to do better. So I'm looking forward to what President Biden will bring to the table when it comes to repairing our relationships globally. Yeah, and I like that your your campaign and your outreach has been very grassroots and taken very well by by your your district and even outside your district. I'm wondering, so for 2021, what would your plans be for improvement? Let's just focus on your district. For our district, well, I think, you know, what needs to happen in our district is also part of this national narrative. First and foremost, we have got to 
come to terms with this COVID crisis, both uh, on the healthcare forefront. So we need to make sure that we are supporting everything that we can in the therapeutics field, in the vaccine field, um, and in good public healthcare protocols so that we are making balanced, smart, scientifically based decisions on sectors of our economy that can and should be safely reopened, as well as, you know, when eventually we get schools back in order and and all of the, the things that are fundamental to our American way of life. We've got to get America healthy first so that we can do that while protecting our economy. And then secondarily, it will be having a robust plan for standing our economy back up. And I think we're going to have to go beyond what we did with the PPP program. I know so many local businesses here in California's 25th that are really suffering and struggling. And we can't have a sort of a stop and start narrative uh, for them going forward. They, they need reliable information and they need resources. They are going to need startup capital. They are going to need some tax flexibility over the next couple of years to be able to structure out the losses that they've incurred as a result of this pandemic. Um, We need to look at industry sectors and realize where we've had significant um, either what will be prolonged job losses or perhaps permanent job losses, as we know may be the case in some of these sectors, particularly retail. Mm -hmm. And we need to have a plan for getting people back to work in those sectors, whether it's new job retraining or even access programs where we're going into communities and investing into job exploration and job matching programs. We need to do kind of have an all of the above strategy to get as many Americans back to work as possible. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Assemblywoman Christy Smith, who is running for Congress for California's 25th Congressional District. Yeah, indeed. And I like what you said. You mentioned something in terms of stop and go, which um, it never occurred to me. I've never heard that, but it makes sense. So many of these programs sort of, they open and they immediately close. Mm-hmm. And so many people either don't even get the chance to apply or they're denied. And uh, it's just tough. You know, who do you pick? Which businesses get the loan or don't get the sure. loan? It's sure. nothing really consistent um, in that right. sense. Well, and, and it needs to be a, a realistic projection based on what the scientific data will tell us about when we'll be able to fully reopen. And, and most of the physicians I've spoken with said that will be after we have a well established vaccine that works for everyone. We've been able to inoculate enough people to establish that community resistance. And um, then we can go from there. But in the meantime, you know, we had businesses locally who qualified for PPP and it was going to be an excusable loan or be written off if you kept your employees on payroll and you did all the things to be compliant um, within a certain time period. But here in California, that time period came and went because our infection rates were still so high. And so we had businesses who said, oh, my goodness, you know, we've complied. We've kept our records. We've done everything we need to. But this loan won't be forgivable because we're not meeting the timeline. So part of the advocacy that we did from the state side also was, to, you know, let's extend timelines. Let's be reasonable about the fact that everything that's happened with COVID is this ever changing dynamic. And it, it requires, you know, thought leaders who are willing to continue to move and evolve and create policy as the dynamic changes. Yeah, for sure. I know that we touched on several key issues. um, But I'd like to hear from you, you know, you speaking to your constituents, what are the fundamental differences between you and your opponent? Well, I think it's a couple of things. First of all, I have been invested in the work of being a leader and and 
very deeply involved in the care and keeping of this community uh, for over 11 years now. Uh, through my involvement at local elected level to now my state service, uh, this is something that is um, I'm very committed to, you know, serving this community and being available to them. What I have not heard from my opponent is, first of all, a platform, or second, even his philosophy on, on governance and on leadership. And, and for me, leadership is the practice of making others successful. So I wake up every day going to work, thinking about how I best support the needs of every member in my community. That means every member of the community also gets a seat at my table. I don't turn people away, regardless of what party they're from or what part of town they're from or what their income level is, right? I need to be very engaged with everyone that I serve, and, and I've worked very hard and diligently to do that. Those are the kind of leaders that this country needs right now, that our communities need right now, because we will have, um, you know, we're in for a long haul recovering from the damage of the last few years, and it's going to take leaders who are willing to to be mindful of that, to be deeply engaged with the community's needs, as opposed to kind of this, you know, 30,000-foot view um, in from distant Washington, D.C., yeah, for sure. So for, you know, there are a lot of people, as you said, they're very galvanized and, and uh, determined to be involved. More people are registered to vote and planning to vote this year than ever. How can, uh, how can people reach you, volunteer, donate, be involved? Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, the website is Christy for forcongress.org. Uh, there's a few links on there, ways to engage with us. If there is a volunteer or just reach out um, and share comments or concerns, we welcome everybody being involved in this campaign. Um, that's been one of the most amazing things as this, this cycle, as, as much as the COVID crisis has limited how we run a political campaign, it also has allowed us to develop a community of invested people from all over the state, all over the country, um, who are, you know, lending their time and support to these very important races and and really leaning into the moment. So uh, if you join us, you will be part of a, a fantastic, uh, well-organized and very enthusiastic community who would love to have you. Yeah, and a lot of people are very enthusiastic about you. I, you know, I have to mention, for example, Jane Washan, who's the chair of the Westside Democratic Headquarters, uh, Melissa She's Grant. Fantastic. Yeah, Melissa yes. Grant, who's the president of the Grassroots Democrats headquarters. Um, John, yes. John Katz, who is the president of the Santa Monica Democratic Club and also uh, the Heart of LA Democratic Club. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes. Love it. Tamara Levinson from Grassroots Democrats. Um, all incredible, wonderful people. And we are so grateful as a campaign to have been adopted by all of these greater Los Angeles area activists who have been looking for a place to invest um, their abundant energy in these people. Boy, are they energetic, but also their skills and talents as as organizers, as field activists, uh, they have brought so much uh, to this campaign and really are a huge part of our energy and effort. And, and we're grateful to have them. Absolutely. We all need to go from being an advocate to being uh, an activist. Uh, Absolutely. Time is now. Before we leave, Assemblywoman, uh, is there anything you'd like to add? Something I haven't mentioned, perhaps? A reminder to everyone in California, ballots drop next week. You, Everyone in California will be getting a vote-by-mail ballot to engage in this process safely from home. Um, I join all of our candidates, our amazing Secretary of State, in encouraging folks to use that, to look to your county registrar's website for additional information about where you can drop your ballot, um, how to engage in the process of being a voter, but please vote. It's so important. And vote early. And vote early. Yes, vote early. Vote early. <laughs> Thank you for that. And it is 
christyforcongress.org. Um, yes. Uh, with a website to reach um, Assemblywoman uh, Christy Smith. Uh, thank you so much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. I hope to chat with you again soon before the election. That would be great. Yeah, and until then, thank you again. All right, thank you, Vic. That was Assemblywoman Christy Smith, who is also running for Congress for California's 25th Congressional District. Thank you for being on the show today, um, Assemblywoman. I appreciate your time. The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.